When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. We are like three weeks away from the first game uh, on the COSA schedule. I believe it's UTEP, New Mexico State. Um, looking forward to that. I'm um, going to be a lot of turquoise jewelry at that game for sure. But uh, Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry here with you once again uh, to talk through some offseason news and notes and uh, give some predictions for uh, what's going to happen in the 2021 season. Uh, Eric, it's uh, it's been a little bit since we last sat down to record. Uh, what you been up to? Man, nothing much. Just kind of getting fired up here for another year. I know that I am happy that we seemingly are going into a, a regular season that should be back to normal, although got to keep your fingers crossed with some of the recent developments but hey camps are starting on time you know we have a in-person media day coming up at FIU on the 10th so that'll be fun to uh actually see Butch Davis in person for the first time since the end of the 2019 season it's kind of weird to think the last time I saw Butch Davis in person was the Camellia Bowl presser (laughs) so it's been a while so I'm definitely fired up and ready to go and uh yeah man ready to jump in some News and notes is we're what about 24 days, 20, I believe you tap and start kissing on the 28th, I believe. Yeah. 24 days from, uh, when we're recording this on August 4th. Um, so that's going to be a ton of fun, but you mentioned, you know, being able to kind of be with coaches and players and stuff in person, you were part of COSA's virtual media day. How was that experience? You know, and I think you did it last year as well, but when, you know, COSA opted to do the virtual route when pretty much every other conference you know, tried to make an in-person thing happen. Um, how did how it go in your opinion? First and foremost, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Actually, I know COVID, it kind of feels like an entire, you know, two-year stretch. Not last year, because of course last year's media days didn't take place, but 2019 did go in person to Frisco, one of my favorite events being there at Conference USA Media Days. The Again, Rudy's Barbecue. If you have not had it, you're missing out. So there's that, you know. I know you can appreciate a good food reference, sir, but that aside, do have to give credit to Conference USA. I know I was rather apprehensive in terms of how that may play out, just because to kind of you know give the listeners at home a little bit of a, of a peek behind the curtain, they wanted to have, they did the East and West on separate days and kind of wanted to give each team a 20 to 25 minute window. And Joe, you know this, you've been a part of pressers and things of that nature. Depending on the coach, their opening statement can go seven to nine minutes, <laughs> you know, and that's not going to allow for much time for two players to ask them questions. And then the litany of media members will be on the call as well. But I have to credit Conference USA because they did not stick hard to that 20 minute rule. A guy like Will Healy, his opening statement's gonna take, like I said, around seven to nine minutes. A guy like Ricky Ronnie, and this is goes to show you the, the, the tone he is setting for ODU. Um, so for all you guys listening, you know, there was a little bit of a gap in between each school, right? You know, we're doing it virtually. So for example, Western Kentucky would come on, they'd, do their bit, and then they would say goodbye. 
the conference USA representative would come on and say next will be Old Dominion. And then they would, you know, get the Old Dominion crew set up and we'd see ODU. And in the interim, the representative would say, hey, Coach Ronnie, you know, it's on and so forth from CUSA. Uh, just let you give you a, do you want to give an opening statement and then introduce your players and we're ready to go. And uh, Ricky Ronnie said, and I think Jared may have tweeted this out as well, Jared, Jared Thomas, uh, I'm not a big opening statement guy. So uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so Ricky Ronnie's opening statement was all about 30 seconds as he uh, introduced himself and his players. But all in all, no, Conference USA did a great job. They allowed plenty of time for follow-ups. We had plenty of time to ask all the questions we wanted of all the coaches and players. And the way they did it over, over Zoom was incredible. Now, I want to say this, you know, I am still a, per a fan of the in-person format. Uh, that is still, again, for anyone who has not been, it's a great event. You get to be up close and personal with the players, you know, kind of very casual. It's not like some of the power five leagues in their media days, but for the circumstances and what they did and what they chose to do, I, I have to give them credit. They pull it off really well. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we kind of figured that, you know, given that they had a year to kind of figure out the virtual media day format, it's good that they were able to pull it off relatively seamlessly. Obviously I know a lot of people would have preferred to, you know, be in person and uh, you know, share, old football writer stories over cocktails or whatever. But, um, you know, this this works too, I guess, for the time and place that we're living in. Um, but it's funny, you mentioned barbecue. You know, I talked about uh, a, a barbecue spot that I went to in San Antonio on one of the last podcasts we did. Yeah. And Jarrett jumped in our Slack and was like, please tell me you, I please tell me you're coming back to San Antonio so I can take you to a real barbecue place. I, I forget that if there's two things that – our good friends in Texas are extremely opinionated about it's their college football and their barbecue. So we, we might have to, next time we endorse a place, we got to think about it. At least I do anyway. <laughs> no doubt about that. I mean, listen, I, I think yeah, I, I'd had another thing. I'd say their high school football, I mean, we tied in just as much as their college football, but yeah, you know, definitely no doubt there. And, and conference USA media days had its fair share of, uh, notable quotes, Joe. I know you kind of want to jump to some of those, right? Yeah, for sure. But before we do that, can oh, I yeah, share I'm with sorry. you a quick? Uh, I, I, no, no, no. <laughs> this is what see, folks. This is what happens when I try to lead. Joe's like, no, no. We have a format here. Uh, yes, sir. All right. sure no, <laughs> sorry, but while we're on the subject of Texas, I, yeah. I found this story while I was in a, a research rabbit hole over the weekend. And I wanted to share it. With oh, you. Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Correct. <laughs> so, in 1938. Colorado and Rice played each other in the Cotton Bowl. And Colorado Governor Teller Ammons bet uh, Texas Governor James Allred that Colorado would beat Rice in the Cotton Bowl. So Colorado offered Pikes Peak as like, if, if Colorado wins, then technically the Big Bend area of Texas would then be part of Colorado. If Rice won... Pikes Peak in Colorado, which is a super tall mountain, uh, would then become part of Texas. Rice won the game 28-14. And then uh, Texas Governor Allred climbed to the top of Pikes Peak you know, himself with his delegation, planted the Texas flag on the top of Pikes Peak, and then they got in a fist fight. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Well, they got they got in like a wrestling match. Uh, okay. So this is like, yeah. So this is uh, based on you know a collection of articles. One's from Smithsonian Magazine. One's from uh, you know some other kind of smaller publications in Texas. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, A, like that just shows you how, uh, even in 1938, how seriously we as a nation took uh, A, betting, and B, college football. And, uh, you know, it makes you think, how much has really changed in 80 years? Joe, really quick, just going to have a little fun with this one here. Sure. If I were betting Florida and you were, were betting Oregon, right? What sure. would you request from Florida as, as, as your prize? You know, because I would probably offer up all of South Florida. Um, or, actually, <laughs> or actually, no, I'll take that back. You know, if you look at where I live, that would include me. So I probably would offer up all of North Florida. Anything from Orlando North, so like the Ocala area North, you can have it. Um, that's what I'd offer up. But what would you be looking for in, in, in return, Sor? Um, if we were to place such a wager, I would I would want Key West, I think. Oh, nice. There's something about nice. yes, there is there's something about sitting on the beach, eating some some frozen chocolate covered key lime pie on a stick, listening to Jimmy Buffett that that just really does it for me. All right, if I if I'm wagering Oregon then what what part of Oregon do you want? Um, well, I mean, nothing really exists in Oregon outside of Portland, right? So I guess I'm taking Portland. <laughs> I mean, sure. No, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not taking Corvallis. <laughs> what the hell that is. Hey man. Hey man, if you like uh delicious Hawaiian barbecue and pickup trucks, Corvallis, <laughs> Oregon was pretty rad. <laughs> I, I, I would I would like the uh the Moda Center. Um that's what I would like in return. Yeah, because that's where Dame Lillard lives. Correct. As he lives it, yeah. Yeah. Don't question it. <laughs> um yeah, so I mean we'll we'll see if we ever get the chance to wager our, our respective states uh, amongst the college football game. Uh, but for now, let's let's dive into some uh, tidbits from CUSA Media Days. You know, Eric, like you said, you were there. Ultimately, I think it was your question that um, you gave to Hunter Bailey, our Charlotte writer, to ask uh, Charlotte wide receiver and Miami native Vic Tucker um, on the toughest defensive back he's faced in Conference USA. And his response was... Fantastic. To quote him, to be honest, it's more about me and my mentality. None of them come to mind. I'm all about dominating whoever's in front of me. So nobody, none of them good. And that, you know, CUSA needs somebody like this right now for a lot of reasons, but mainly it's extremely entertaining. And honestly, if anybody in this league, as far as offensive players go, has earned the right to talk about themselves like that, it's absolutely Vic Tucker. No doubt about that. And what's so crazy is if for any of you know, us who have been around this league, first off, watching Vic Tucker's evolution, not only as a player, but he was a shy kid from Miami. So to see him just be gregarious and say none of them good, like that is not the Vic Tucker that came in as a freshman. So there's one. Two, I mean, talk about just saying, hey, you know, bulletin board material, like it's all about me. And there absolutely were. I'm not going to, you know, start anything, instigate, but there were some Conference USA defensive backs that did catch wind of this tweet. <laughs> a few in South Florida, who, again, Vic Tucker, South Florida native, has played against in high school and, and elsewhere. Uh, a few in, uh, in a lot of places, but mainly in, you know, South Florida. You can do the math there as far as the two South Florida programs and the defensive backs who caught wind of Vic Tucker's tweet. But I just love the, the Miami swagger. It says, man, none of you. And he meant it. So. Lovely. And, and also you make a great point, Joe. Um, you know, not that you want to encourage, you know, players and coaches, I'm sure, hate that type of stuff. Right. But you need personalities. Right. I mean, if he's that confident and his play is backed up during his time in Conference USA, let him have it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if there's, uh, you know, I think that's not the only thing, but it's certainly part of kind of elevating the G5 game, you know, to the uh, national level in terms of like media attention and fan attention. If you have some big personalities, that absolutely helps. So um, Vic Tucker stepping up in that department. And like we said, he stepped up his play as well. Um, but kind of staying in the the Charlotte vein of stuff that we saw from uh, CUSA Media Day, um, th- there was a story that Will Healy told about linebacker Tyler Murray about uh, April Fool's Day. Um, I guess uh, Murray left a voicemail on Healy's phone that he was going to transfer. Obviously, it was an April Fool's joke, but uh, Will Healy didn't think it was all that funny. Uh, to quote Tyler Murray uh, from your tweet, Eric, uh, coach left me three voicemails on my phone, all frantic, and I hadn't even woken up yet. So, uh, I mean, good to see uh, there's there's still a sense of humor in Charlotte amongst, you know, all the confidence that's uh, coming out of that program right now. Doesn't that really fit the vibe there in Charlotte, right? You know, how much Will Healy cares about these guys. I mean, one of the great things that I heard, and I, this wasn't part of the, the notes I sent you, but Will Healy saying that last year, wasn't the student athlete experience that he wants for his guys. And that gave him sleepless nights, but to bring it all the way around, this goes to show you the kind of relationship that he has where one of his guys can be like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to prank call coach Ely to <laughs> see, see what happens. So uh, yeah, definitely fits the the club lit to the, the really uh, the atmosphere that they're trying to set there in the queen city. Absolutely. And I mean, it seems like certainly not every division one college coach kind of fits that mold of, you know, smiling, I guess. Um, but I think that's part of the reason why we're kind of seeing the turnaround that we're seeing with the Charlotte football program in that, you know, Will Healy's ability to not just relate to his players, but make them, you know, come out of their shells and actually enjoy the experience of playing Division One football. At the end of the day, this should be fun. You know, I mean, listen, especially at the group of five level, that's not to say that players don't have NFL dreams and hopes and aspirations of their own. But like he said, this should also be a student athlete experience that they look back on and 10 years and say, I really enjoyed my four or five years playing football. So absolutely agree. Uh, it was one more thing. Will Healy said just a, just a little baby nugget. Um, yeah. well, actually there were two, um, one, he, uh, made it official. Chris Reynolds will be starting quarterback week one, barring, you know, some catastrophe in camp. Um, and two, he had an interesting quote about, uh, the effect that the COVID-19 situation had on the college game in 2020. Uh, he said, quote, COVID didn't give any coaches a pass in 2020. A lot of coaches were fired last season. I know uh, Charlotte AD Mike Hill doesn't give me a pass. So that's what Healy said on that issue. And, you know, I think he's right um, to some extent. I do think that we as, as fans and writers certainly kind of expected COVID to give some programs a pass in some capacity. Um, I guess in some ways it did, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like, like rice is a good example. Like they, they didn't play very well, but they also didn't play for most of the season. So I think at the same time, that's great that Will Healy sees it that way. But, you know, ultimately I do think if you look back at 2020, given the amount of things that were out of coaches control last year, I, I do think that you can't really judge their body of work based on that i'll give you a great example joe anyone who's listened to this podcast anyone who's um followed my fiu coverage knows that you know i've been lucky in the time i've covered fiu uh strike a little bit of a relationship with former fiu offensive coordinator rich strosky 
you know, Coach Grosky took plenty of time, you know, talking about the quarterback position and what he's looking for and coaching James Morgan and Alex Magoo. And he sent two quarterbacks to the NFL from FIU, sent another and Keith Wenning from Ball State. And James Morgan and Magoo both on the record said that Rich Grosky prepared me for the process of the combine and getting on the board and impressing NFL scouts. And guess what? Last year, the FIU offense, in terms of the passing attack, 123rd in the nation, you know, only uh, trailed by teams that, quite frankly, were not passing offenses. And what did that get Rich Skrowski? Uh, you know, his contract was not renewed, right? Same thing with the defensive coordinators and Jeff Kopp and Jared Cruzy. Listen, it, coaching, it's a tough game. It's a business. And, you know, I'm not um, shading FIU for, you know, the choices that they made wanting to change coaches. I mean, that that's the name of the game, right? COVID or not. But to your point about maybe some of us as writers and some people's fans think, all right, it's COVID, you know, you only play five games, you got to give him a mulligan. Butch Davis has been very open and honest that his quarterbacks didn't get nearly enough time to, you know, get themselves ingratiated in the system. And that didn't save any of the coaches' jobs from last year. So it just goes to show you, you know, that there are people behind this who, unfortunately, their lives were, were impacted by COVID in terms of losing their job. And I mean, you can say that about pretty much every industry in America, unfortunately. Um, Absolutely. You know, no, you're right. at, at the end of the day, you know, college football, like anything else, is a business. Um, so it's, you know, I, I understand what Coach Healy was trying to say, and I don't think it came from a malicious place at all. I do agree with the thought, right? Because COVID-19, COVID-19 didn't really give anybody a pass. And, and that, like you said, it did cost people jobs for bad performance. Let's walk it back a little bit to uh, one of the first things that you sent me, and that's uh, our buddy, Marshall head coach, Charles Huff. Um, and this quote of his is referring to um, just sort of some general sentiment out there from, uh, you know, the media, as he as he stated when he came on the show, guys like us, um, just kind of talking about, you know, the state of CUSA and, and giving our opinions, even though we're not necessarily in the locker rooms. Um Coach Huff said, there's a lot of rat poison out there, and that stuff is great for everyone who doesn't put on a helmet, but it doesn't do anything for us. Um, Interesting choice of words for for Coach Huff, but I think I understand what he's trying to say. I think, you know, coming from the uh, Nick Saban school of of coaching, I think he understands um, how fan culture kind of helps college football as a business, like we were just talking about, grow. But I think think that's, that's healthy for him, that he doesn't, really let his players kind of buy into to media attention when it comes to, you know, developing themselves as, as players and as people. Um, but, you know, seeing as this is his first head coaching gig, we'll see how good he ends up being at actually putting that into practice. Yeah, Joe, there are two things I took away from that. And of course, for our listeners who may not be familiar, of course, Coach Huff comes from the Nick Saban coaching tree. And the first person to talk about the rat poison was one Nick Saban himself. It was a quote that was then later used by Lane Kiffin at FAU. So the rat poison has made its return to Conference USA in the form of Coach Charles Huff and those damn writers who are dropping the rat poison. But here are the two things that I take away from it, right? One, Coach Huff, this is like you mentioned, it's his first coaching gig, and he clearly is going to do things his way, put his stamp on things, and he's decided that I'm going to be the face of this. You know, the, the players... Not that, you know, by any means he's going to suppress his players' ability to do X, Y, or Z, but Charles Huff is running the show. He wants to, you know, control the the the, the noise that comes in and out of that locker room. And I think that's a great thing because I know, you know, having spoken with 
so many head coaches or excuse me, so many coaches who were former head coaches for one reason or another, their head coaching tenure didn't work out. You absolutely want someone to say, hey, like when they if it works out or doesn't, they look back and had no regrets. So with Charles Huff, he's going to do it his way. A. B, I think for the players, especially coming off of last year, it's really crucial and pertinent because they are going to be hearing the noise about the last three games, the last three games on that call. Grant Wells, how many he got probably half a dozen questions about the last three games. It does him no good to worry about the last three games. It does. It can only do him good to worry about the next game. Right. And I know I sound like I've attended one too many Bush Davis press conferences. Maybe that's true, but that's just a factor of life. Right. I mean, how many of us probably spend too much time looking back at what we could have done as opposed to focusing about the next thing. So I have no issue with him choosing to take that approach with his football team. One of the things that I, I particularly like about that is I, I think he ultimately understands that part of his role as a head coach is to, you know, kind of be able to be the face of the program in the good times and the bad. And both of those are different types of roles. You know, ultimately when Marshall has a bad game and people are directing, you know, hate comments or or whatever towards his players, he's going to be able to, you know, take the brunt of it and, you know, be the adult in the room. But I also think he's going to be able to to do a good job of kind of amplifying these these players when they succeed. And I think Nick Saban's relatively good at that as well. I think Lane Kiffin's very, very good at that. Um, so we'll see, you know, what he's able to do in a head coaching role. And ultimately, I does hope I I does hope. Wow, I do hope that he does give his players the ability to be stars because we got Will Omer out here trying to make a career in Nashville on the side. So we'll see how that goes. Shout out to our friend Emily Van Buskirk for uh, getting there on that one. More to come from Emily in a future podcast. Absolutely. Um, so with that, let's let's talk a little bit about Middle Tennessee State and uh, what Coach Rick Stockstill had to say at Media Days. Um, obviously, if you're familiar with MTSU football over the last few years, they've been a, a one-man show in the, the Asher O'Hara show, as uh, it would seem. But obviously, he's gone. Um, so... Coach Stock still had this to say, we've got to get more balance in our running game with yards from the running backs, and we need more passing production, Um, which I I think is a fairly obvious statement, but I think that's pretty good that, uh, you know, the the first step of getting to a a new place is acceptance. So that's, that's good that he understands that they can't continue to rely solely on a quarterback who was a freak. No, Joe, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. When you look at the rushing numbers, and I know I've probably said this in this podcast before, but I really think it's worth repeating again. The rushing numbers from the running back, the most amount of yards they've had since Itavis Mathers over 1,500 yards in 2016 is 617 in 2018 from Shaton Mobley. Outside of that, in 2019, Terrell West led the team in rushing yards with 233 from the running back. So let me make that clear. Asher O'Hara did rush for 1,000 yards in 19 and, of course, led the team in 2020. I believe he had a, a, a shade of a 700. Uh, you look at last year, Shaton Mobley again led the backs with only 366 yards. And Middle Tennessee was a team that played nine games last year. I believe played nine or ten games. So it wasn't like they were a team that only played, you know, four or five, right? So he talked about not only the need for the offense to evolve from the rushing attack, but what was interesting is he said that he felt there was a need for the passing attack to grow and listen, we're certainly biased. We've had Asher O'Hare on this podcast. We're huge fans of his. We think he's a hell of a playmaker. 
if you were to take the opposite side of that, right, one could make the argument that if you went to a more traditional pro-style type of quarterback, that the receivers would benefit. And listen, we're not in position to make that argument. Rick Stockstill is in a much better position than we are, right? But you can look at the receivers that they have on the roster, Jaron Pierce, Jimmy Marshall, Yusuf Ali, um, CJ Wyndham, and say, hey, that's a pretty deep group in CUSA. And the top two in Pierce and Yusuf Ali could arguably be guys are getting close to the seven, eight, nine hundred range as opposed to the five, six hundred they've gotten. So there's it, it's validity in both sides, right? Like you can, I think this is not an either or. It can be, yes, Asher O'Hara is a dynamic quarterback who can do great things and lead a team. And I think he'll do great things with Sacramento State. But it can be that. And based on the players that have been recruited and, and what Rick Stockstill may envision for his offense, they may have needed a more of a traditional pro style type quarterback. So I think both things can be true. I don't think it has to be a slide on one or the other. Yeah, that's that's a solid point. But, you know, I, I do think that, look, Middle Tennessee just hasn't been good the last two years. So it, it's good that they're, you know, understanding that the system itself needs to change. So that's that's a step in the right direction if you're a Blue Raider fan, for sure. Last thing from Media Days that I wanted to get to here was uh, Tyson Helton um, saying that Bailey Zappi will officially be the week one starter for uh, Western Kentucky. Qu- to quote him, uh, this is coming from Red Towel Radio, I think we're in a position right now where Bailey Zappi is going to be the quarterback. We can go ahead and say he's going to be the starter. Um, you know, we, We've talked a lot about Bailey Zappi and the fact that he has you know, his, his QB coach from – Houston Baptist coming in also has some of his receivers that he's worked with previously coming in. And not only that, when you look at the rest of Western's QB room, it, they there's next to zero experience at the collegiate level uh, in there. So, I mean, I think this is a pretty obvious choice really, but at the same time, you know, it, it sounds like Helton is, you know, pretty comfortable with the newcomers progression since he's gotten a Bowling Green. Yeah, let's just look at the highlights here, right? So you mentioned offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, Houston Baptist, Zach Kitley, is now the offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky. The Stearns brothers, they are now receivers at Western Kentucky. So he has players who have played in that system and a coordinator who has coached that system now at Western Kentucky. A, B, I totally respect the fact that, you know, Coach Helton may have wanted to say, hey, let me just have an open competition and see what at least I have. But that's a hell of a system to bring in here and be like, hey, uh, quarterback number three, can you can you run this? <laughs> you know, like it was Bailey's after your bust, you know, so no real surprises there. And I, I know you and I both are squarely in the camp of expecting big things from Bailey Zappi. That seems to be the damn near the buzzword, the buzz name in Conference USA circles. I, I know there are some people who think he did it at an FCS level against poor defenses, blah, 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 you know, but listen, I think that's short-sighted because you don't even take into account the fact that, Joe, I came on this podcast a couple of years ago when HBU, I think, opened up against UTEP and was cracking jokes, quite frankly, about the fact that they'd only won one game prior and Vic Sheely there, you know, they were allowing some like 40 points a game and this, that, and the other. And quite frankly, they've looked like a very respectable FCS team and they've pushed some CUSA teams to the limit. But that's with FCS talent. You're not even taking into account the fact that Bailey Zappi will be leveling up and playing with FBS talent himself. So definitely expecting big things from him and uh, can't wait to see that show get going. Like Zach Kitley said in his introductory press conference, I was brought here to light the scoreboard. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the fireworks that uh, go off uh, each time Western Kentucky scores a touchdown. Right? I, I think I remember fireworks going off when they scored a touchdown at, at against FIU. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right. In that part, in that part of Kentucky, yeah, there's there's fireworks all over the place. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think at the very least, uh, we'll, we'll see some good success with him off the bat since they're opening up with UT Martin. Um, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to how well they play against that number 11 Indiana team when they come to Bowling Green. So I know we're all excited for that. Uh, but moving on, I think we, we have some other kind of news and notes that we wanted to get to within CUSA outside of, uh, you know, what our, our whole team really, Eric did a great job of covering, at uh, CUSA Media Days. Shout out to uh, Steve Helwick as well as, as Eric um, for his work doing that. And then, you know, we're kind of putting out a roundtable with the CUSA stuff um, probably next week at this point, probably right around the same time that this podcast comes out. Um, but within that are a few questions that we haven't already covered over the course of the offseason when it comes to previewing the 2021 season for CUSA. Um, one of those questions that we're, we're posing to ourselves and the rest of the staff is the most likely power five win for CUSA this year. I'll, I'll get us started off on that note. For me, I have a hard time thinking that UTSA is going to lose to Illinois, right? I, I don't think there are many P5 teams where I can look at them and say, like, I, I'm just not impressed by their current state. And Illinois is definitely one of them. And when you factor that with just the tremendous upswing that UTSA is on right now, both in terms of talent and just, you know, overall development, which we'll get to later, um, I feel really good about that. Um, However, I will say honorable mentions, uh, the Louisiana Tech game against NC State and uh, Charlotte hosting Duke. I think uh, based on what Will Healy has been able to put together and the amount of talent that Duke lost, I think that'll be an interesting game as well. Yeah, Joe, you pretty much touched on the one that instantaneously come to mind for me. The one that I am going to go ahead and book it will be week one, Charlotte welcoming Duke to Jerry Richardson Stadium. I think that is going to be a raucous atmosphere, and Duke, not to say that Duke is a, is a bad uh, ACC team, but they definitely are coming off a bit of a rebuilding of their own. So, listen, I think Charlotte's going to be fired up. I think Will Healy – Listen, when you saw them last year, they pushed Appalachian State, you know, for four quarters. Just had a couple plays here or there didn't go their way. But I think they are going to come fired, especially a team that, I mean, Joe, they're chomping at the bit. And I I know that's such an overused phrase, but they only played, what, six games last year or five games last year. To, to have those, those you know, half of your year just obliterated like that, I think they're going to be eager and ready to go fired up. But how about this? We're talking about gambling off here. And you want any action on UAB at Georgia? I, I, I'm not saying I believe UAB is going to win. I would love to have seen this game with Jordan Smith and Spencer Brown still in Blazer uniforms. However, I do think this, UAB is returning a lot of talent. And if they can get consistent Tyler Johnson, the third play, uh, you know, not the 50, 55% completions. The, if they don't turn the ball over, I think they can make things interesting. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I think they can make things interesting. But uh, the one that I'm going to take is going to be Duke and Charlotte. And also, I am very much uh, on the UTSA at Illinois train as well. I mean, first of all, when you look at the that Charlotte-Duke game, um, all solid points. I mean, especially the fact that, like, just for me, I think that the Charlotte defense really has to – 
play really well. But also, I think Duke's offense is down significantly, especially when you look at the fact that Chase Bryce has is, is gone to Appalachian State. Um, I think that's going to be really kind of the, the big test for them. I'm not as worried about Charlotte's offense. Moving on to the, the UAB Georgia stuff, I don't know. I'm not as confident as, as that. I feel like Georgia for me has been that program where every time I watch them and think they're going to perform one way, they perform the opposite. What was that? Was that them that they they lost to Baker Mayfield to Oklahoma in that Rose Bowl? And it was – am I thinking of the right game? I, I think you are. If memory serves me correct, yeah. Yeah, and I mean I, I think a lot of us – um you know, kind of expected that to be that to go differently. But um, my, my point is this. I don't know that I would necessarily um, put money on UAB taking down Georgia. And I definitely wouldn't put it in the category of like, go ahead and book it now. But I do think UAB's absolutely headed in the right direction to get there at some point. No, no, no doubt about that. I just, I, I remember being very confident in them at UM last year, University of Miami. And of course, they, uh, fell short there, but they had their opportunities. You know, UAB, again, this is not going to be a game that they're going to blow out, that Georgia's going to blow them out by 35 points. I just don't see that. I think UAB's going to go in there and play tough. It's just going to be a matter of can they make enough plays, catch enough breaks to, you know, make that thing close at the end. So, but uh, I, I would agree with you. You know, I, we're not necessarily ready to book that one just yet. And, of course, these uh, picks are for entertainment purposes only. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, we're in agreement there. I, I would take UAB over 90% of the Big 12. But the SEC is a little bit different story right now. Do they still exist, the Big 12? Maybe. As we're recording this, are they still in existence? As we're recording this, yes. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next, like, hour. But <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. When we were doing the, the Sun Belt thing, um, the Sun Belt roundtable, I put in there, um, Coastal Carolina is going to wipe the floor with Kansas. But, we'll, you know, we'll see how long Big 12 is still considered a, a P5 conference. So, uh, yeah. It's funny, I tweeted out the other day that, you know, when FIU plays Texas Tech, uh, will that be a will that be a conference game? And, you know, whose conference will it be in? Will Texas Tech be in CUSA? Will FIU be in the Big 12? Stay tuned. <laughs> I, I really like to imagine that, like, as the Big 12 collapses, we have, like, you know, <laughs> Judy McLeod talking to, like, uh, Texas Tech's AD and like, you know, if you're looking for somewhere, uh, let me know, like slips <laughs> money in his pocket and then he pulls it out and it's like Whataburger coupons. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's what we're thinking in terms of CUSA against the P5 in the next few months. Um, another question that we're asking ourselves, do you take the over or the under on the notion that two teams will experience a coaching change in CUSA this year? Uh, for me, I'm going to go with the under. Personally, I don't think necessarily anybody is going to do well enough on the national scale to earn themselves like a P5 type promotion, which leaves coaches getting fired. And with the amount of new coaches that have come in, I don't think anybody is on that short of a leash with the exception of Dana Dibble and maybe Mike Bloomgren. But at the same time, I I think if you're going to go between those two, I think Dimmel's on the shorter leash. So, and then frankly, like, I don't know what the internal expectations for UTEP are. That's always been unclear. They haven't been competitive in, you know, half a decade or whatever it's been. So I, you know, I don't know what it is he actually has to do to 
be in the hot seat. But I digress. I think we're not going to see more than two uh, coaching changes in CUSA before the end of this season. Yeah, I agree. I think in the cases where you look across the conference landscape and ask yourself which coaches may be, you know, have a quote-unquote proverbial hot seat, it's those two. And then you look at FIU Butch Davis coming off of the 0-5 year, 6-7 and 7, 2019. Of course, it didn't last year. It was contract. I, with Butch Davis, I, I think he'll be back in, in 2022. And quite frankly, I think that's because I think the team is going to do well enough to where they're going to qualify for a bowl. I'm not saying just because I cover them. I, I genuinely think if you look at the, the pieces around quarterback, if they just get average to above average quarterback play with a player like Devontae Price and the secondary and some of the new additions, they're there. You know, they'll, they should be able to win six games. But I think you make a really excellent point in terms of what are the internal expectations. When you look at FIU, I think with FIU, you can make the argument that maybe they overachieved in year one and year two. That's not to say that that, that, that team, those teams weren't good. But maybe the, they won so soon that, you know, the people got their expectations as to thinking, all right, well, this is going to be, we're going to be nine wins, 10 wins. And there had to be a bit of a transition point there. With UTEP and Rice, I squarely think it's an expectations thing. Excuse me, with UTEP, I've asked this question and, and I think I've asked it to our buddy Adrian Bradis out there, you know, from ESPN El Paso, as far as, uh, uh, and Steve Kalpowitz as well, who does a great job out there for uh, that station in El Paso in terms of, is five wins enough? Is that, given where they're coming from, the point you make about them not being competitive in over a decade, the team wins five games. Is that good enough to warrant the extension? Is it you have to make a bowl game? Who knows? I will say this. Jacob Kong and Justin Garrett are two of the top receivers in the Conference USA. Deion Hankins is certainly a nice prospect at running backs. Gavin Hardison, we've seen flashes from him. Praise Amahule, a nice Conference USA defensive lineman. There are pieces to compete, right? And Rice. I feel a little bit more in the idea that Rice needs to go bowling. That's not to say that I think they're going to fire Mike Bloomberg if they if they don't. You know, one eleven ain't going to cut it. But they have been on the cusp. It's just been quarterback play that has really doomed them over the past few years. So I I, I don't think that they can afford another three four win year. But I think five six seven. Ideally, I mean, the five may be, you know, the low end of things, but I think that's enough to say, all right, we see enough to ride it out for one more year, you know? Yeah, I mean, that that's my thoughts exactly. I mean, five wins for a lot of schools might be caused to hit the panic button, but for UTEP, that's the best they've done in several years. So, I mean, if they can, st- if they can get to a point where Dana Dimmel has that administration thinking, I can churn out five win seasons consistently, not to brag or anything. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's enough to kind of get him to a point where his, his job's mostly safe until you know they start realizing that we're in the state of Texas, we should be winning a lot more than we are. But we'll see. Which you know brings us to um, let's talk about some transfers. I know one of the things that uh, people were excited about when Dana Dimmel got brought in was his ability to bring in uh, transfer players either from P5s or from the JUCO level, and he he's done that to an extent. But really, when you look at the numbers that uh, our guy Jared Kalmus has pulled in, when it looks uh, when you look at COSA this past off season. Um, and the whole new rule that allows players to be eligible to compete immediately as opposed to sitting out a year. 
it's really been for the benefit of G5 conferences and things like CUSA. When you look at CUSA, outgoing Power 5 transfers, Eric, 16. Incoming Power 5 transfers, that is players coming from Power 5 programs to Conference USA teams, 62. So I think like when you talk about, you know, these rules, you know, being bad for G5 football, I think at least in the early going, that does not seem to be the case. And B, I think it's ultimately going to, you know, help these CUSA programs put out a more entertaining product. I am not exactly in the same camp, Joe. Uh, About two years ago, I wrote a piece saying that the era of college football free agency was upon us. And there were some people who felt that the term free agency was a bit harsh. Little did they know that the one-time transfer rule would come into effect, right? Listen, mm-hmm. I Jared makes some good points in his piece, but I think it's a little short-sighted. Here's why. A, it, it doesn't account for, yes, the number of players you lose to the Power Five may not be as significant. But the player you are losing to the Power Five may very well be significant. Look at Kane Madden leaving Marshall. Look at, we can go, and it doesn't have to stick to Conference USA, but look at Blaze Aldridge, uh, Calvin Anderson. Those are, if Rice had some of those guys, if Rice had Blaze Aldridge right now, we'd probably be picking them as a lock to go to bowl game, right? Regardless of what they have at the quarterback position, or not regardless, but, you know, we'd feel a little bit more stronger, right? Um, you can go to other leagues. Look at Derek King. Houston to Miami. Now, Dana Holgerson's still searching for a quarterback. It, 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 the thing is this. It's, again, it's not the, the, the fact that you're only losing one or two guys. Uh, look at Old, Old Dominion. Caleb Ford Dement signed with UCLA. I believe he left UCLA, went to Liberty, so still a very solid program. Keon White goes to Georgia Tech. Those are two guys that, if they had those guys on defense, Ricky Ronnie's much further ahead in his turnaround uh, job entering year one. So there's that point there. The second point is I don't think it accounts for the amount of guys who is not necessarily the power five, right? Because Joe, and, and I'm definitely curious your thoughts on this. It's a, it's a bit of a leap to say that a power five guy is just going to come down to G5 and make an impact, right? Immediately. Now, some cases that happens, but I can think of certain guys. And I don't want to say call anybody out by name because some of these guys are still in the midst of their careers. And last year they may not have made an impact because of COVID. Um, not that they had COVID, but, you know, the circumstances around the year. But they're still surging to make an impact. But, Joe, if you take, for example, a Roger Cray who went from Western to ODU, that's a very solid – now, granted, not a Power 5 transfer, but that's a solid starter for Western. I saw him have a hell of a game against FIU in the season finale for the Panthers – Western Kentucky lost, what, eight, nine, ten guys? I mean, overall, they probably lost somewhere around 17, 18, but eight, nine, ten guys who were starters alone or contributors on their team. I don't think it's just easy to say, all right, well, we lost a G5 guy. Let's get a P5 guy in. All's well that ends well. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that because we've seen – I can use FIU. We all thought around the program that Jeremiah Holloman was going to be the second coming of you know Andre Johnson or Reggie Wayne in, in South Florida – That didn't happen. Now, of course, you can look at COVID. He just landed at Liberty again. So clearly his talent has landed him at another promising school. We thought Tyson Maeva would come down from Boise State, make an impact. Didn't really have as much. So just kind of curious your thoughts on that, Joe. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, like a lot of things, I I try to look at this on a case-by-case basis. I think, like, Kane Madden is a great example of 
I think that transfer is going to work out very well for him. When you look at a, the skill set that he already has and B Notre Dame's history of developing offensive linemen. I think that's a solid fit for somebody like him who has the potential to be an NFL starter on the offensive line at some point. But then when you look at blaze Aldridge, you know, I, I don't, I don't know every factor that went into that decision, but Missouri football is significantly less successful at developing NFL talent uh, and significantly less, you know, successful at developing linebackers specifically. Now, um, if he's just looking for playing time, sure. But, you know, ultimately I think it's, it's going to come down to just finding the best fit for you in your position. And, you know, ultimately, it seems like for a lot of like to use Western as an example, for a lot of the skill position players that they brought in, I can understand why they made those decisions because they want to play for an offense that throws a lot. Um, I'm looking like an idiot because I don't remember the guy's name, but they brought in a transfer from Notre Dame who uh, Western did, who, you know, wasn't getting a lot of snaps um, because a Notre Dame's offense runs the ball a lot. That's part of why their offensive line gets the attention that they do, right? Um, and B, you know, I'm sure they've kind of seen what Tyson Helton can do with an offense at, you know, the other places that he's been an offensive coordinator, as you know, including at Western Kentucky a few years back when they won those conference titles. And I'm sure that they, you know, could see something brewing when a quarterback like Bailey Zappi uh, comes in. So all that to say... You know, I, 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 I'm still a believer in this rule in terms of getting players in the best uh, position to succeed, but you got to do your research because ultimately, you know, while we're seeing a lot of these uh, P5 guys come down to COSA in order to get snaps and in order to, you know, find offenses where they, they fit better, it's not going to be the case for some of them. It, it can't. Like with these 62 guys that come in, not every single one of them is going to be, you know, conference newcomer of the year or whatever. But ultimately, I'm I'm a fan of the rule. I'm a believer in it, and I think um, as kids who are in high school now kind of see the people who succeed in these situations and the people who fail, it's going to work itself out. Yeah, and I don't want my comments to come across if I'm not a fan of the one-time transfer rule or players transferring in general. We've had this conversation on the podcast before. I just think in terms of saying, all right, you know, it's all things equal. All right, we lose a couple of guys. Let's still get some you know, P five guys, and it's all the same. And it, it, in my opinion, it, it's not exactly quite the same. And the player you were talking about, of course, we have a million names that we're trying to remember. So it happens to the best of us. Kendall Abdur Rahman, the player you're referring from Notre Dame. But yes, that, that's just my thoughts. So yeah, and I mean, you know, you're going to get opinions from from all over the uh, the spectrum on this issue, and ultimately, it's it's still a developing situation. So we'll we'll kind of see how it ultimately plays out, but. I do think it, it adds to the overall entertainment value of this season that we're getting into um, after a, a season that almost didn't happen. So uh, I'm excited to see what a lot of these guys who have come in, particularly the new Hilltoppers, um, Big Red is Love, Big Red is Life. I have to say that every week now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to see what those guys are able to do. So with that, let's let's talk about something else that we had on the CUSA run of show for this week, and that is uh, UTSA flexing the money a little bit, <laughs> uh, showing off the new facility that they opened up today. 
uh, valued at $40 million. Uh, you saw some of the videos on Twitter of the new players walking around the new weight room and the locker room. Um, it, it's all part of UTSA strategy to expand their facilities over the course of the next uh, decade or so. They have an $8 million soccer facility and a covered uh, practice field coming very soon. Uh, they're going to put in a new $25 million basketball slash volleyball facility sometime in the next five years. And then they've also got a $25 million uh, baseball slash soft, softball facility coming in uh, soon at some point. So, uh, and, and shout out to our friends at Alamo Dome Audible uh, for, for compiling that stuff for us. But ultimately, like, when we talk about the Big 12 folding in the state of Texas football and G5 schools like CUSA vying for big-time talent, whether it's at the JUCO level, at the high school level, at the P5 level, stuff like this matters. And it's so fascinating to me to see the amount of progress that UTSA has made as a program on and off the field in such a short time. Yeah, no doubt about it. I got to give a quick shout out to a friend of mine, uh, Lindsay Hamner. She is a former UTSA World Runner soccer player, <laughs> and she spoke to me about the facilities over there at UTSA, and, and she, quite frankly, is, is jealous at what the, the new kids are going to have come in there because she said, yeah, it, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't a great experience. And that's, you know, regardless of whether you were a women's soccer player or, of course, a football player. There, you know, our own Jared Thomas has, has said that some of the facilities that there were Texas middle schools that had better facilities. So this kind of goes to show you. Hey, listen, I think it is a huge deal, Joe. You and I have talked about it, especially in the state of Texas. Look at UNT. Their facilities are outstanding. Anyone who's seen the facilities in Denton knows that money talks and you know the rest. I think you compare that to Rice. Rice has amazing facilities inside of Rice Stadium. Well, you can say what you want about Rice Stadium. Their facilities themselves, incredible. Um, UTEP, the Sun Bowl, one of the more historic venues in all of Conference USA, but their actual facilities themselves are actually fairly good, and they just made a lot of upgrades as far as to the press box and other areas of the stadium as well. So it really was needed, especially to compete in the state of Texas. And head coach Jeff Trailer has made a – really about that he is going to recruit the San Antonio area. Um, I, I think especially since that is the area you're going to focus on, you've got to be able to come in with the right facilities. And Joe, I don't know if you happen to catch the piece, uh, I believe it was in the athletic. I apologize if I, if I get that wrong. I have to go back and correct on it on a later podcast, but Jeff trailer walked around uh, Texas high school coaches convention. He was a rock star because he's a former Texas high school head coach and everyone knows his name. And, and listen, that's great that you can, kind of carry that kind of swagger, but you got to back it up when you're walking in recruits house. So to have those kind of facilities, I think that puts them on par with any G5 team in the nation and G5 program in the nation. And that's just going to help his efforts in trying to emphasize Texas. 100%. Like, like you said, it, it all kind of starts with winning hearts and minds when they're young, right? Like a lot of these kids that are going to play, you know, middle school, high school football are going to end up going to camps on UTSA's campus, see that facility and get it in their brain early. I want to be a UTSA roadrunner for better or worse. Um, or not for better or for worse, whether or not they, they continue playing sports in college is what I meant to say. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've seen that happen with uh, a lot of the schools in, uh, in Ohio. Like when I was younger, uh, the University of Cincinnati had like just put in 
a brand new facility is right around the time Brian Kelly was there. And I think that's ultimately why like a lot of my uh, classmates ultimately wanted to, you know, go there. It, it It's a very good PR tool for your school, whether you're talking about football recruiting or just general academic recruiting, it shows that you, you care if you're a school and you're putting in the, the time and the money to continually make upgrades. Great job to UTSA's team for putting together this kind of money again in such a short time. Cause we're talking about a program that's like a little more than a decade old. If I have that right, that's, yeah. that's insane. The fact that you can, you know, get all that scratched together in that short of a time that's, that's Texas for you. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, hopefully it's going to continue to bear uh, great results for UTSA on the field. Yeah. Again, I think you hit the nail on the head. Couldn't agree with you more there. And just, uh, I know we're getting ready to close up the show in a second. So I want to go ahead as someone who feels very strongly about proper attribution. That's Chris Hummer from 247 Sports. Uh, the article I sort of sourced there as far as Jeff Trailer and being at the Texas High School Coaches Convention. Also want to give one quick shout out, Joe. You know, we appreciate those of you who choose to leave feedback, positive, negative, or otherwise, but it's the only way that we can help grow this podcast. Shout out to Southern Miss play-by-play guy, Jason Baker, who left us a really nice comment in terms of, you know, he discovered our podcast and it's like, hey, I really enjoy you guys. So Jason, appreciate you discovering us and spread the word. We, uh, you know, this is a certainly a passion project for us. So the fact that, you know, people are, Recognize the fact that we like to do our homework. I think we like to consider ourselves one of the uh, most informed Conference USA podcasts out there. So, Jason, appreciate the compliment, and I'll spread the word, folks. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks, Jason. That's uh, I don't think anybody's ever called me personally informed on anything, but I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> um, you know, like you said, we're just we're we're out here having fun and and trying to, you know, just have some place to put all of our energy when it comes to G5 football. God knows my fiance doesn't want to listen to me talk about it anymore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, We'll be back next week with more CUSA contents. And of course, check out underdog dynasty.com for more G5 football content. We're putting together some really fun stuff for the upcoming season for uh, all the G5 leagues. Well, mostly CUSA, uh, Sunbelt and the American and uh, maybe some FCS stuff in there as well. Uh, if you want to follow Eric and myself on Twitter, it's at J O E H I O underscore and at Eric C Henry underscore. And uh, of course at underdog dynasty for the, uh, the site's Twitter. Uh, we'll talk to y'all soon. Happy football watching everybody. Stay safe out there.